Hello everyone and welcome to AWARE. We are Paula and Lisa, two students of the Bachelor of Global Sustainability Science at Utrecht University. In this podcast, composed of five episodes, we will have several guests and discuss fast fashion and its possible solutions from many different perspectives. From the history of fast fashion to the latest and most innovative solutions, we will have a journey to explore slow fashion, ethical consumption and circularity in the fashion industry. This will go hand in hand with inspiring discussions with experts and entrepreneurs that have first-hand experience in the industry. We are here to start a discussion about a topic that touches upon all of us. You wake up in the morning, you open your closet and you choose something to wear. Either it is a suit, a uniform, a pair of jeans or a fancy dress, it has impacted the world more than you expected. Are you ready to know more about it? Then stay connected with our podcast to find out. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Aware podcast series. This episode is all about the future in the fashion industry. Every day, new designers, engineers, and artists come up with innovative materials or technologies to revolutionize the way we see fashion nowadays. Understanding the fact that the fashion industry is unsustainable and its different social and environmental impacts has been key to drive innovation in a sustainable direction. In this episode, we explore different innovative solutions developed in the Netherlands that work towards reducing the impacts of the industry or slowing fashion. In previous episodes, we have discussed that there are many social and environmental impacts associated with the fashion industry. Some argue that such impacts can be reduced by making the steps or the process more sustainable. However, others think that the core problem is in the high demand of clothing and the fast pace it is produced and consequently disregarded. Today, we are going to explore solutions from both points of view and have an interesting discussion with two very special guest speakers. So, hi Katia, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm really good. How are you? <laughs> yeah, we're good as well. Thank you um, so much for having me. Of course, it's, it's a pleasure for us. It's uh, a big pleasure for me too. So, let's just go right into the questions. The first question is quite a broad question, but we would like to know what you think is the role of innovation in the fashion industry. Yeah, I think it plays a big role and it always has been, you know, since I think industrialization of like all the industries, including fashion, it's uh, it's always been there and it still is and it has a big part, but I don't think it's the end goal, you know. I think we need to really look at innovation as a means rather than an end goal. So when there was an industrialization, for example, I think innovation was mainly used for maybe mass production, mass consumption, driving the cost down so you can earn more. Uh, but these days we are looking at innovation mainly as a means to a more sustainable industry, to a more ethical industry. So, so yeah, I think innovation is important, but it's not all, <laughs> definitely. And um, also maybe to mention something with innovation. Sometimes we're looking back to the old ways of how we were doing things and we just build upon that. So it's not always just about creating like a super novel solution, but it's also about going back to things like, you know, just being local, being slow with fashion, being a mindful consumer, which we've 
been doing before. And I think many communities around the world are still doing that. So we should also look to a lot of indigenous communities and how they do things. So it's not just about really this high tech, no solutions only. I think it's a balance of both. Right. Yeah. So maybe you already partly answered my next question, which is, is innovation always positive and is it the pathway to sustainable fashion? Right. Yeah, I think it's definitely not always positive, but it definitely can be positive. So we just look at what is the end goal. If the end goal is just to produce more, just to, you know, have lower costs of production, then innovation might not be as positive, unfortunately. But it definitely can bring like some positive developments. And to also to give you an example of how we can balance out sort of the old ways and to like back to basics approach with the positive innovation. If we take, for instance, the rental model, where we, it's not like new, right? It's been there before, we've done it, uh, but now we are looking at new ways to include this rental model. How can we do it in a new way, in a better way, right? How can it help us solve some of those issues of, you know, sustainability and environmental justice? So yeah, definitely not always positive, but it should be, like that's how we should use innovation. <laughs> and moving to a business perspective, do you think that big global fast fashion chains such as H&M, Zara, Primark or Isis will switch to more sustainable innovation materials to keep themselves in the market? Um, I think they're already switching. <laughs> so they're definitely switching to sustainable materials. It's hard to say about innovative ones, like the super, you know, like bio materials, but they're definitely switching to sustainable materials. And some of the brands you mentioned, I think they are also on different stage. Um, some of them have not taken any steps yet, but I think they will. I think what it shows us is that consumer voice really matters, right? So they hear us. They can hear that people are worried about about the issues that we care about, better solutions. And that's why they're trying to, like, you know, do something, to take some minuscule steps. Um, but it's also the question of the, you know, fast fashion business model. Can it ever be sustainable if we even take this beautiful, like, organic cotton or linen and apply it to this mass production, uh, the fast trends, like, will it be sustainable? Um, it's, I think that's the question we should be asking. And I think these brands, they will come to this question and they might have to reinvent the whole business model at some point. Yeah, of course. And do you think that greenwashing is common also related to new innovation techniques, for example, though the current H&M campaign? Yeah, absolutely. Greenwashing is super common. I think the fact that they see that these issues, they matter to consumer. They try to take some small step, right, and kind of market it, the heck out of it, right? Market as much as possible of it. Um, so that creates a play field for greenwashing, of course. Um, they try to be relevant to the consumer. They try to, like... Um, kind of do a little bit better and then showcase that. So yeah, no, we should be just, we should use discernment. But I think what it shows and like a positive side of that is they, they hear us. They hear that we care about um, sustainable fashion and ethical fashion. But yeah, um, I think these brands at some point and some of them already are kind of being afraid of being called greenwashers or like called out on greenwashing. So they also, I think some of them start um, to introduce more like transparency <laughs> to how they do things. But yeah, others will 
probably will follow because they will be losing customers if they don't. Yes, indeed. So now maybe we would like to steer the discussion more to the innovative materials. So, Katya, have you ever heard about vegan cactus leather? Because at the moment, some companies such as Mexican brand Deserto are experimenting with it, trying to lower the environmental footprint of leather. Do you think that would be a feasible option on a larger scale? Yeah, I heard of it. It's really, really cool. Um, I think leather is just such a damaging industry for many different reasons, tanning being one of them. So again, when something is so kind of damaging and just polluting and overall not great, uh, it creates, again, a field for innovation. So this is where this like really good innovation, like new novel solutions come into place. And that's where they really need it. So there are a lot of startups and a lot of innovators who are creating alternatives to conventional leather. So yeah, cactus leather is definitely one of them. And I think with leather, we have to look at the issues that we have to solve, right? What are we trying to solve? So one is feedstock, having a sustainable, ethical feedstock instead of like animal skins or just a petroleum-based fossil based PU leather. Then we are also looking at uh, chemicals involved, how much water we need, how much energy we need, how much processing. So like what goes in there? And also the end result is like, is it going to be biodegradable? Is it going to be recyclable? Is it going to com- decompose at some point? As well as a human element, you know, like ethical production, etc. So all of these things we are kind of trying to solve. We also look at durability, at quality, uh, whether designers want to work with this new material, whether it's going to serve as a proper alternative to leather. So all of these problems startups are trying to solve. And if we look at something like Deserto, the cactus leather, I think it's already solving a bunch of these, right? So we have a sustainable feedstock, which is cactus. It's a regenerative uh, resource. So you can just cut some leaves of the cactus tree and just just keeps on growing. Uh, You can use that. Uh, It doesn't require like pesticides and uh, crazy amounts of water or anything like that. Um, It's animal cruelty free. Um, I think they're also really supportive of the farmers. It's just nice local production. Um, Yeah, so a lot of these really nice things. And I know that the feedstock itself is biodegradable. I'm not sure if you mix it into the product, if they add anything fossil based. But yeah, as you can see, they are kind of solving a lot of these marks, right? A lot of these issues. So I think it's it's great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there are definitely other developments too. And uh, there are more, more startups uh, working on plant-based leather alternatives. Yeah, researching into this topic, we came across uh, a lot of interesting brands. One example is the Italian brand Fruma, which uses apples to create a leather-like material. Apple pectin is an industrial waste product which can be used to create sustainable materials that are totally compostable while still being durable enough to create luxury accessories. Uh, The leathers can be dyed naturally and tanned without chemical-intensive techniques. What do you think about this matter? Do you think that it could also be brought to the Netherlands? Yeah, yeah, again, again, it's one of those solutions. uh, And here they use waste instead of like regenerative farming as cactus leather does. They use waste as a resource, which is amazing. It's just very circular. And um, yeah, 
that, again, it ticks many of these boxes and many of these issues it does solve. Uh, one point that I want to mention is like product biodegradability. The feedstock itself is biodegradable. And I know they have like a few types of this leather-like material. So the softest version can be biodegradable. The hardest for maybe use for shoes, um, it's, they do mix some of that fossil-based material in there. Uh, polyurethane, I think. Um, so in in this way, the product might not be biodegradable, but it's just one of the things. Already, if you compare it to like conventional uh, leather or BU leather that's we have on the market, it's already much better. And um, yeah, something maybe else to mention how to scale that, right? Because you also asked about the previous one. How, how do we scale that? I think... Um, we cannot just rely on one startup and on one solution to be able to completely like change the leather industry. We really need a lot of these, right? A lot of these startups, a lot of these offers. It's like trying to solve, you know, the issue of sustainability in fashion by just using one method, like rental, right? As I already mentioned, if you can just all of us switch to rental and try to change a fashion industry for the better, it's not really going to be scalable, right? We need more. We need like buying local. We need sustainable brands. We need um, secondhand shopping, etc. So I think here as well, we just need different solutions. And there are different startups um, already creating these plant-based alternatives. There are also other ideas. Um, yeah, so this will help to scale it. What will also help is just brands that have uh, the resources to invest in these solutions and just already collaborate with these startups, create pilots that will really help to kind of get it moving. And the more uh, brands will be purchasing this type of material, the more it will also scale and spread and the lower the cost will be. So it's going to be more affordable to consumers. So yeah, it's kind of the circle. We just we just have to get this ball moving, right? Yeah, and I think Netherlands um, is, yeah, is already doing quite a bit for sustainability in fashion. There are different brands and startups. Uh, the Netherlands is really known for the denim industry and like sustainable denim. Uh, not so much uh, leather, uh, but I think there is definitely demand, right? There is consumer mm -hmm. demand. So yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we already mentioned the Netherlands before. Um, so an example of more sustainable materials consists in creating more versatile materials. The Dutch brand Flocus, for example, is working with materials derived from the kapok tree. The so-called cotton tree, found in South America and West Indies, produces fruitless pods filled with fibers requiring very little processing. By developing Kapok, the company helps mitigate the deforestation of these crop areas while ensuring the sustainability of a new responsible fiber for the fashion industry. On their website, they claim that developing the production of this material in the countries where Kapok trees grow helps to regenerate communities and develop economic prosperity, as well as having a positive impact. What is your opinion on this? Do you think that even if transport is needed, the environmental impacts are mitigated in the end? Yeah, Kapok is a really lovely example, I think. So yeah, again, we are looking at what we are trying to solve. What are the benefits of growing Kapok? As you mentioned, there are so many good things. It's a 
lovely raw material. It's regenerative. It helps, you know, the sustainable farming. Um, and if the startup, as they say, they work with the local communities, not, you know, against them, and just really work with local community leaders to make the best that they can with this, I think it's it's really good. So we look at the benefits. What are the benefits? They don't use any pesticides. It's like organic by itself, right? It doesn't use a lot of water either. Why they add kapok, and also kapok, again, is not new to the fashion industry. It's been used before as an insulation material. But now the startup found a way to also create a yarn and a fabric out of this. And when they add it as a yarn, it has added performance. So, you know, like those finishes, like antibacterial, uh, prolonged freshness, like things like that, even like waterproofness and things like that, you usually create synthetic finish on a product. It's... it's um, a lot of processing. But this, uh, they add kapok fiber um, to add this type of performance, like antibacterial performance to garments, and it doesn't have, like, it, it has a very low impact, right? So this is really lovely. And they don't yet use it as, like, a just 100% kapok product, right? They use it as an edit, as a blend. Um, so they usually blend it with organic cotton instead of conventional cotton. And it's like an alternative to conventional cotton. So we have to kind of compare the two, I think. Um, well, when it comes to cotton, it has a lot of down, like pitfalls, right? Um, pesticide use, water use, unethical farming. They also have transport so where do we grow cotton? It's not grown on European soil, really, uh, at least not in the EU. I think the closest one is Turkey, but it's not a huge production. So it's usually grown in India, China, the US, and some other places. So again, it's not local to us, just like kapok. Uh, it has to be transported, right? But then the benefits of kapok outweigh like the benefits of cotton, I guess. And also we have to look at who is responsible for making transportation sustainable, right? So is it the farmer who is growing kapok or growing cotton? No, not really, right? Is it the startup who is helping develop kapok? Also, not, not really. It's mainly brands' responsibility to just organize logistics in the smartest way possible to like cluster together these all of these locations to uh, decrease the trans uh, the impact of transportation. But it's also about maybe startups whose like sphere of genius is in actual transportation and logistics to create more sustainable solutions there, right? So they, they have to work on that. And that, of course, has to be uh, encouraged by the governments and the brands and the corporates. So, yeah, so I think it's not really up to Kabok to... to yeah, to make transportation sustainable. But yeah, I, I get I get that uh, we have to also look at local materials that are grown locally and try and make use of that. Like in Europe, we grow linen, uh, flax, hemp, like bass fibers. We, we should make use of that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. Okay, moving to a different perspective of innovation. Uh, in some previous episodes, we mentioned digitalization of clothes and the possibility that in the future we will have a virtual closet uh, to try clothes on. Uh, what's your opinion about the digitalization of clothes? Do you see a future for technology in the fashion industry? 
Ah, I, I think it's a fascinating topic, digitalization of clothing. It's something completely new, never seen before, right? If other solutions we sort of kind of done, you know, using natural materials, maybe using waste as a resource, repairing, being conscious consumers, we've all done it before. We're just reinventing this, making it better. But this is completely novel, never seen before. So we are kind of writing history with this. We have to make sure it's the right history. It's it's a good history. So it's up to us and up to these startups to uh, make sure that digi digitalization serves the end goal that we have, which is um, uh, industry that's good for the planet and the people. Um, so yeah, and uh, again, what are we trying to solve? That's the question. Um, are we trying to solve overproduction, unnecessary stocks, then yes, uh, digitalization can be really helpful that, for example, we create um, instead of physical samples, we create digital samples so that we waste less resource. Um, yeah, of course, why not? <laughs> so that's great. But then we, when we go into territory of digital humans, like digital models, for instance, that is already a bit of a gray area. So what problem are we trying to solve here? I think that's the question. Is it is it doing more good than bad or vice versa? Uh, so with digital models, I think what is going to happen to real models, right? That's that's a big question. Are we going to just substitute them with digital avatars? Or maybe are we going to just solve the part of the job of the model that's not so exciting, like just taking samples and just doing catalogs instead of an actual creative photo shoot where a model has individual individuality and shows, uh, you know, who she is, who he is, who they are. So I think that's um, what we should look at or look into. And then the digital dress that you mentioned, it's an interesting one, right? Is it still driving consumption? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, is it maybe helping influencers to switch from like physical clothing that have more impact than digital ones? Maybe that's also kind of solving something. And another thing that I want to mention is digital businesses, they still have environmental impact, right? They still have emissions. <laughs> I don't think we like think about that too, too much. And of course, uh, usually physical businesses, they have more of a impact, but still we need to look at resources used um, physically versus digitally and the benefits of each of these, what outweighs what. So yeah, so it's kind of up to us to hold these startups also accountable and deliver criticism, a constructive criticism, and ask questions, uh, voice our worries about what's happening with the digitalization. And I'm sure like these startups, they're also trying to do something they love, and they're also trying to bring some positive impact. So yeah, so I think um, hopefully they're listening to our concerns and our questions and are trying to solve actual problems, not just adding more stuff. Yeah, I indeed, I think you voiced it really well. Um, it's really easy to say something is aimed towards sustainability, but for example, digitalization of those indeed is a really great area and it's also so something really new. So it makes sense that we are still figuring out in what direction we want to take it. Moving on, after the publishing of the famous book Cradle to Cradle, Remaking the Way We Make Things by the German chemist Michael Raungart and the US architect William McDonough, 
advice for the audience. Check it out if you don't know it. <laughs> Cradle to Cradle is a biometric approach to the design of products and systems that models human industry on nature's processes, where materials are viewed as nutrients circulating in healthy and safe metabolisms. Do you think that could be applied to fashion by using different materials? Uh, yeah, I think it's a lovely approach. Uh, definitely can can be applied because it's like design principles, right? It can be applied to so many different industries and it's being applied to construction, buildings, interior design, fashion, like all kinds of things. So definitely. And here we look at um, cradle to grave versus cradle to cradle. So cradle to grave is when we just take resources, usually non-renewable resources, then we do something with them, we process, there is waste in the process, there are some other like things involved, we create our products, we use them, and then we just waste them. So that's cradle to grave. Um, and cradle to cradle is like circular approach. It's just circularity, where things continue to circulate, where the resources are renewable, safe, and we are able to do something with them, right? So instead of let's say, downcycling something. If we take an example of just a cotton T-shirt where we take cotton, we create a T-shirt, there is some waste in the process, water, chemicals, etc. And then we wear it. Once we are done, it's just, let's say, in the best case scenario, we put it in a sorting bin. It goes to the sorting facility. Like Sorters will look at it. They try their best to like deliver to the right recycling partner. And then with the whole recycling, usually they just downcycle it um, because there might be some dyes mixed in, there might be some polyester mixed in, so it's not really easy to recycle. And it will be downcycled into like insulation material. So it will never really become this uh, beautiful new T-shirt again. And I think that's what Cradle to Cradle is trying to prevent and to solve. And they want to create upcycling, so like recycling for the for the better use, for something uh, as good of a value as the, the previous product. So yeah, definitely can be applied to fashion. And I think um, good examples of... Because this can be applied to materials, as you're asking, can we apply that to uh, sustainable materials? Definitely. Uh, the example that I know of is mango materials, uh, which is, um, yeah, I think they're from the U.S. But the idea, they don't use any mangoes. I don't know why the name is mango material. materials. Uh, what they do use is methane. So they literally collect methane gas emissions from landfills or whatever. It's also in some natural uh, resources you can find, like wildfires, volcanoes. You can collect methane, uh, kind of trap it, and then turn it into biopolyester pellets, which will be biodegradable. So it will just go back to decomposing back into nature. They will collect the methane gas again, and the cycle continues. So this is a very like circular approach, we can say, to uh, sustainable materials. When it comes to like products and just design um, and just businesses, it also, circularity is so important. And a nice startup that I can think of is Circular Fashion. Uh, what they offer is this whole like digital software and database with uh, circular design guidelines and uh, different materials that you can use for circularity. So they help brands to create a completely circular product that will be traceable, very transparent. Consumers can find out about it. And then sorters will also be able to understand what it's made of and how to recycle it properly. So that, that also helps circularity, right? <laughs>
This is so nice. We talk about a lot of changes and possible innovations. Do you think that the Dutch government could steer fashion towards the use of more sustainable materials? Do we need stricter regulations? And can we as consumers contribute to this transition? Now, while I don't work with the government directly in, in my job, I think from where I'm standing, definitely like uh, the Dutch government can do a lot of things and just governments in general. Uh, what they can do first is to encourage the use of uh, sustainable materials and safe materials by, for instance, education, just spreading like education and knowledge within both consumers and other parties in the fashion industry, also investing, uh, giving grants to these materials, just taking a big part in that. Uh, that could be done um, always, right? But also discouraging uh, use of unsustainable ones at the same time. They cannot just discourage, I think. They also need to encourage the good ones <laughs> because otherwise there is no alternative, really. Uh, but I think that's also an important part to discourage unsustainable ones with, let's say, just um, making companies to pay the price of the damage that they're doing. That could be something maybe even um, because there is already, for instance, a price on um, emissions, on carbon emissions. It's really low at the moment, uh, but I think we are moving towards governments putting a higher price so that the companies kind of have to pay up for the damage that they're doing. And that's also the reason why these uh, fast fashion brands, they have such cheap prices. It's because they're not paying environmental price. They're not paying ethical price and just human price. So, so yeah, so that's why. And if the government starts to like put taxes on the damage they're doing, uh, put prices on that. So that could help, I think. Um, and also with, you know, with consumers, this is really about, uh, I think, voting and using our voice because there are parties that um, offer more solutions and more action towards uh global sustainability goals and there are ones that don't or offer less right so we can vote we can vote for elected officials we can keep on speaking keep on asking keep on demanding sometimes and to come back to the government what else they can do is sometimes just um, not allow certain products or certain materials maybe like plastic straws were banned you know that could be applied to fashion in some cases. But yeah, at the same time, we do need positive alternatives. So there is something else that companies have uh, can do or have to do, right? <laughs> so as a final question, we would like to know how you imagine the fashion industry in 20 years from now. I think it's a, it's a really cool question. <laughs> um, I definitely imagine a completely transparent industry. So the companies really traced everything that they're doing in the supply chain is just completely traceable, right? The fashion industry is very traceable, um, transparent. They disclose all of the data that they found out. So I think this is like the basis, like the basic step that everybody needs to take. So there is this accountability, right? And I'm going to be optimistic <laughs> and say that all of the damaging materials that have like big environmental and human impact are banned and are not used. Instead, we are using just plenty of amazing organic, recycled, bio-innovative materials that are safe, um, that have a low impact. Uh, then 
I also see ethical production. So there is like a basis for human rights and just ethics in all of the fashion supply chain that is met and that is done. Um, doesn't matter if it's a big factory, if it's a small factory. Then, of course, inclusivity, just complete inclusivity in fashion when it comes to everything. <laughs> it just has to be inclusive in 20 years. Um, and I want to see like just plenty of different approaches and solutions used. Um, I want to see consumers who are conscious and treat clothing with respect and with care that, yeah, just do what's available to them, do their best. Um, there is no pressure, not that much pressure on the consumer because I don't believe that we need to blame a consumer for everything that's happening in fashion. Um, yeah, and we are moving away from capitalism <laughs> and overconsumption and just mass production. So, yeah, I think that's what I see in 20 years. Um I am an optimist. I, I have hope for the fashion industry. I think it's getting better. I think it will be better. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think this is what we all want to see Absolutely. or would like to see. So thank you so much, Katya, for being with us today. It was such a pleasure to have you. And all the information that you gave was just so interesting and amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me over. It's been a big pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> thank you. This was our last podcast, and there was no better way to end this series than to do it with a positive attitude and a vision towards a greener future. As we have discussed, the Netherlands has a great potential to bring about innovation in the fashion industry and to become a pioneer in this field. However, we should always think about sustainable brands critically. What problem are they trying to solve? How do you imagine the fashion industry in 20 years? This is also one of the reasons why we ask you to contribute and to reflect on what we have discussed throughout these five episodes. We can all together work to make a change from the local to the national level and set an example that we can do better. Once again, we would like to thank you for accompanying us throughout this journey and encourage you to share this podcast with your family and friends. This is the last episode of the Aware podcast series, so if you're new here, make sure to check out our previous episodes. And feel free to follow our Instagram page at Aware Podcast. Bye!